0: Hey, here we go welcome to adventure's first teaching series of 2021 the original big ten so years ago i knew a locally well-known pastor who lived in manila pastored a church in manila which is the capital of the philippines So if you picture a long string of islands, Manila is pretty much in the middle. Not exactly in the middle, but kind of in the middle there. And um, he was also a businessman. And so his primary business was located 650 miles south of Manila where his church was. And so he would travel in between. On Fridays, he would head back to Manila uh, to be there for the weekend at his church. And then on Mondays, he would head back to the south to a town called General Santos, which is on this great big island called Mindanao in the bottom. So he made these trips back and forth, and he did that, pastoring that church for about 30 years, um, and running this business down in Mindanao. And one day, he got killed in a car accident. Now, I've driven in the Philippines, and I'm gonna tell you, it is amazing that he made it 30 years without getting killed driving in the Philippines, but he got killed, and so word spread out through his connections what had happened, and eventually there came this awkward moment when two women with grown adult kids showed up at the hospital to claim the body. Two wives, two different sets of kids. Oh, boy. Um... I asked a uh, Filipino uh, attorney friend, I said, so what happens in a case like that? Because he was married to those women for 20-some years, both of them, and had grown kids. And I said, so what happens with all his stuff because of this deception? And my attorney friend said, well, let me say it to you like this. A court will decide who gets all the chickens. That's a third-world way of saying (laughs) somebody's going to have to do the math and figure out how much goes either. But he also added, on a case like this, by the time the investigation is done, there will not likely be anything left for either wife or for any of the kids. When Caleb was born, uh, going on 35 years ago, we had a a doctor friend in Kansas City that we were able to stay with. He's a Jewish doctor, a devout Jewish doctor, and he was really hilarious to be around. The Jewish sense of humor that you hear people joke about is not a joke. It's real. (laughs) It's bizarre sometimes. And he told me one day, he goes, hey, I got a joke for you. I got a ministry joke for you. It's an Old Testament joke. You want to hear it? And I'm like, sure, hit me. Um... And he said, okay, so Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments on the two tablets. And he comes down and he addresses the people. And he says, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is, I got him down to just 10. (laughs) The bad news, the adultery thing stays in. (laughs) Now, Let's look at that seventh commandment. Here's the version a lot of us memorized it in, right? Even though we didn't live in the 1600s or the 1700s, we've memorized it that way. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery, or one of the newer translations, you must not commit adultery. So this seventh commandment, Prohibition on any married person having any kind of sexual or emotional relationship with anyone other than his or her spouse has probably been the commandment most consistently mocked and made fun of by the Hollywood culture. You can't watch a a show anymore without this commandment being violated. Infidelity is the number one cause of divorce in the U.S. And that's an interesting statistic. 90% of Americans believe that infidelity is wrong. But only 61% believe it should be punished as a crime. Now hold that thought. Only 61% want to see it punished as a crime one confidential survey found that 55 percent of men and 50 percent of women admitted to cheating that explains why only 61 (laughs) percent wanted to see it prosecuted as a crime what that tells us is that basically half of all relationships have been damaged by infidelity all right follow with me in your notes introduction adultery is always only a large beer away right <laughs> a bad decision away now what are the primary reasons behind adultery All right, there are two primary reasons people give for why they committed adultery here's the first one a sexual excitement Now, this reason is most commonly given by men, but it's not exclusively given by men. It's just men give it more often than women give it. Women do cite this one occasionally, too. Generally, what happens is that a married couple fall into a stagnated, monotonous, same-way-every-time sexual routine. That's what happens, and it becomes predictable and boring. And in today's culture where everything is so sexualized, where sex is used to sell everything, where everything else is presented to be so much more exciting than you can imagine, it gets really easy to believe that everybody else has a better time with this than you do. And you start questioning. And marketing pushes the idea that it's, there's better stuff out there and you deserve it. You deserve it. Whether it's some scantily clad hotel financier's daughter washing a car over a hamburger while wearing almost nothing, or bikini clad girls playing volleyball to determine whether a sandwich is Mexican tasting, or American tasting, or Abercrombie and Fitch uh, Fitch having their greeters just wear underwear, or... Calvin and Klein using underage models as sexual bait for wearing blue jeans or perfumes and body sprays promising some kind of sexual attraction or some kind of sexual prowess. It can begin to feel like you're the only person wasting your time by keeping your behavior in check for the entirety of your marriage, especially when you've got some sexual or attractive person just waiting off into the wings, willing to be your partner. But sex isn't the only thing to get stagnated and monotonous. There was a second reason given. Next one, B. Strong emotional connections. Now, While this isn't exclusive to women. This is the one most commonly cited by women. See, we all desire to know someone else intimately, emotionally. We all desire to be known intimately, emotionally by someone else. We all desire to love someone else. We all desire to be loved by someone else. And sometimes when we forget to appreciate, when we forget to value, when we start to take for granted our spouse, we can put them in a position where an important need is not being met. And I guarantee you, when you are not meeting a need that your spouse has, there is some predator out there sniffing around like a bloodhound watching for the signs to step in. And they will try every time. They're waiting to show someone, I will appreciate you. I value you. If you were married to me, I don't know how your husband, oh, your husband is an idiot. You're so good. See, for normal people, there's really no more powerful emotion than love. So if one falls in love with someone else while married, man, it takes incredible self-control to Keep your emotions in check, to keep your libido in check, and to not commit adultery with this other person who makes you tingle inside. And then, if you add in the unfortunate circumstance of a sexless marriage or a loveless marriage, right, or uh, uh, mismatched emotions or mismatched sexual drives, then adultery becomes even harder to fend off. And we all know that. That's why the line about the commandment about adultery stays (laughs) makes us chuckle, because we know it's awkward. Now, why is the adultery thing, why is adultery prohibited in this commandment? So keep in mind, the Ten Commandments are given to a bunch of people who were formerly slaves, who are now free and are about to establish a completely new society, the first of its kind in human history. And these Ten Commandments are the bedrock for this new society. So, why no adultery? All right, number one, adultery threatens the family unit. And I'll tell you, a threat to the family unit... A threat to the family unit is a threat to the society the society is built on the family unit so the intended family unit is a father married to the mother and both committed to the children now How does adultery threaten that? Well, the most obvious reason is that sex with someone other than your spouse can easily lead to one or both spouses deciding, we've got to get out of this relationship. And it perverts, it destroys rational thinking. Listen, one of the reasons God says no sex until you're married is because once you introduce sex, rational thinking goes out the window. And the first sign that rational thinking goes out the window is that you say, well, I've had sex and I'm thinking rationally. (laughs) No, you're not. You violated an intense special commandment that God has given his people. So it destroys good thinking. And then if there are dependent children in that marriage, it goes even further and makes the thinking become even more irrational. All right, so let's go through this. A, adultery often leads to divorce. Depending on what part of the country you're in, there's only about a 16% chance that a marriage will remain intact after a divorce. Uh, Excuse me, after an affair. After an affair. So while it doesn't always lead to divorce, it frequently does. I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to who have made a choice to leave their spouse, to bail even on their kids, and then they justify it by saying, oh man, I could, I, this is almost a quote that I've heard dozens of times, my kids will be fine. Lots of kids have lived through divorce and done just fine. A study published in October 1996 by the Department of Behavioral Sciences of, at Athens State College determined that the divorce affects the self esteem and emotional security of the children and their relationships. Listen to me, for the rest of their lives, they're not fine. B. Adultery can lead to pregnancy. Now, what does that pregnancy often end up in? An abortion. We kill the evidence. Now, if that child is blessed enough to not be put to death over mom and dad's actions, that child in almost all cases starts out with no family the way God intended, no complete family, meaning no father and mother married to each other, that this child can call their own, that child will legally rank after the needs of any older children are met. It is very possible that they will actually receive nothing from dad at all. So we had a fella parent Adventure um, who had five kids. And he was a tomcat before he got married. (laughs) And about the time his oldest one went to college, guess what started arriving in the mail from the state of Iowa? Oh, in the state of Illinois. Paternity test orders. He did not know that while he was single, before he married and settled down and created five children with his wife, he had 12 other kids. Woof! I told him, I said, you know, I don't even know what to say to that. I just sat there and stared at him. I mean, I there's not many things you can tell me that will surprise me anymore. But that one, I just like, <laughs> the carnal side of me wanted to give him a high five, you know. And then the Christian side of me was like, what? what's wrong with you? Because this is before I knew Jesus all right, so we're going to call all these children the before Jesus children. So what happens in the state starts going by order of birth. And eventually, I believe it's after five, nobody gets anything. You and I then take care of those children. But that child that's born into that affair without a mom and dad will never know the kind of secure, loving home that will give that child a perspective of what God is like that God intended for that child to have. I've had to reason with a lot of people who have had affairs and the fact that they had an affair indicates how far off reality their thinking already is that they've not properly measured reality. See, there's often this delusion that if I could just be with that other person, oh my gosh, the grass is so much greener with that other person. Yet the statistics show that the affairs that finally marry, less than 5% of them ever describe the relationship as happy. And there is a 75% likelihood of divorce within five years. And there is also a 100% chance that you will never trust each other. (laughs) because you have proven to each other to be together that neither of you can be trusted. Let's go next one, C. Adultery breaks trust, and that breaks any possible sense of security. See, adultery, it, it, it doesn't destroy, if it, if it doesn't destroy a family, It almost always does terrible harm to the marriage. And when it does terrible harm to the marriage, it does terrible harm to the children. So aside from the betrayal, aside from the loss of trust, it sends out the notice to everyone that that adulterous partner has been living life as a fraud, as a deceiver, and secrets And deceptions have become a way of life for this person. They can't be trusted. Look at Job 24, 15. I love this. This, Actually, this is like the perfect description. The adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No one will see me then. He hides his face, so no one will know him. So many times in the last 37 years... I have sat with church women who had affairs with church men. Women, church going Christian women with families who had affairs with church going men, Christian men who had families. And I've asked the women, what attracted you to him? And their answers run like this I love how he's so involved in his church. You know, I'm talking about when I say the, 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 the rational thinking is already gone. I love how he loves and cares for his family. I love how he's involved in the lives of his kids. And the number one on our board is <laughs> I love how he has so much integrity and such a good reputation. Listen. If he was really involved in following Christ, he'd have never entertained the notion of an affair. If he was so loving toward his family, he would have never gotten participate. He would have never participated in something that risked destroying his family, that risked his kids losing everything, that risked his kids having to break into living in a small house or an apartment <laughs> instead of the home that they've gotten to know. If he was such a good father, he'd have never done anything that destroyed the security of his family. If he was such a man of integrity, (laughs) he made a promise in public before God to his spouse. See, when a spouse is having an affair, regardless of whether it's sexual or emotional, their thoughts are constantly on two things. One, that other person, and two, how do I deceive my spouse to be with that other person? And that life of deception inevitably affects the relationship, even if the betrayed spouse remains unaware of it. Something's going on. They can sense it. See, that's why anything that endangers or damages the family is prohibited by Scripture. Adultery is just one example of something that can damage the family, that's prohibited. Uh, Not honoring one's father and mother damages the family. It's another threat to the family. Murder steals a family member. The prohibition on incest is there to protect the family. The prohibition against drunkenness is yet another reason God says don't do that. It damages the family. Those are all about protecting the family. And just like the other nine commandments, fidelity in a marriage is indispensable to protecting the society. You have to have it. So goes the family, so goes the society. All right, number two, social stability is impossible with adultery. Now, you'll hear me using a phrase occasionally. They they study societies that collapse and they look at them. I I just, I wish I had gotten it sooner. I found a study um, the day before yesterday that goes through and looks at the collapse of 80 different cultures and studies what led up to the collapse. One of the things that they determined led up to the collapse was infidelity in the family relationships of 80 different cultures, ancient and modern. Now, Why is this idea that you have to have stability in the family? Because if you don't have stability in the family, you can't pass on to new generations the things that made that society great. You can't pass them on. It won't happen. That's why the book of Deuteronomy says you've got to teach your children. Talk to your children about this in the morning. Talk to them about it in the afternoon. Talk to them about when you're traveling somewhere. Talk to them about what God has said while you're having meals. Talk to them about what God has said while you're putting them to bed. You can't do that if the family's scattered all over the place. It's also <laughs> social stability is impossible because. Well, let's just put it this way. A commitment to a man, a commitment by a man to a woman and children makes men better men. I don't know of any man who's ever said to me, my wife has not made me a better man. And the reality is, for most women, family meets an incredibly deep emotional and spiritual need. And nothing comes close to being able to give the children what God created for children to have. Stability. And can I just be real honest? If you can't be faithful to your spouse, if you can't be faithful to that person you looked eye to eye while creating that child, nobody else can trust you either. All right. Again, as goes the family, so goes society. Number three, this commandment does not come with an asterisk. You know how sometimes you read something that has an asterisk, and you go down and look to the asterisk, and it shows, oh, except in these cases. This one does not come with an asterisk. There's no, nothing there that indicates any exceptions under which a person is allowed to commit adultery. It doesn't say, oh, you know, asterisk, unless the sex isn't very good. Um, unless there's no emotional connection, or maybe your spouse works too much, or if you think maybe you should have married someone else, you married the wrong person. I had a past friend tell me that one of the women in his church um, had found her high school boyfriend on Facebook and um, saw that his wife had died recently of cancer. And she felt bad for him. So she friended him on Facebook. He accepted. And they started chatting, started instant messaging each other. Eventually, she came in and she told her husband, I should have never married you. I should have married him instead. I am leaving you to go live with him. He's who I should have married. She was 74 years old. They had been married, I think, 52 years, if I remember correctly. Her husband told her, that would make us both very happy. (laughs) That commandment does not come with an asterisk that says unless both spouses agree. <laughs> the Scottish philosopher Thomas Reed in 1785 wrote a series of essays that were called Essays on the Intellectual Powers of Man. And In it, he made a statement that we've shortened. In American language, we've shortened it. You'll recognize it. Uh, we've shortened it for ease a little bit. I'm going to read you the whole thing, but I'm going to have you complete it because you will just show you you know it. The chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right. For if that fails, the chain fails, and the object that it has been holding up falls to the ground. Listen, a society in which the family fails, the society collapses to destruction. That's the reality. And in a society in which adultery is rampant or permitted, that is an end-of-empire moment. For that society, and that society will not long remain free. All right, conclusion. Is there hope after adultery? I'm just going to jump ahead. Yes, there is, but I'm going to come back and explain why in a minute. I'm going to explain how. So if you just do the math, if 55% of men and 50% of women believe, well, admit to having had an affair, that means half the marriages in this room have suffered through adultery at some point, right? Even if the spouse doesn't know about it. Now, Jesus comes back and Jesus reminds us very simply that sin begins begins in the heart and we've got to watch what we think about right? We've got to lock that sin down here. Don't let it get out in the air. Deal with it when it's inside before it gets outside. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard the commandment that says, what? So what's he doing? He's quoting the Ten Commandments. Everybody do this one. He's quoting all the commandments. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with, circle that word, lust, Now, he's speaking to a male audience. This this also works for a woman looking at a man with lust. And I'm gonna come back to that word in a second. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I've heard some people say that what's happening here is Jesus is actually tightening the command up even tighter than the Ten Commandments. I'm just gonna tell you, that's not correct. What he's doing is he's actually tying two of the commandments together and he's reminding us that sin starts in here and we've got to control what's in here to be able to control what happens outside here. In fact, that word that we translate lust in English is actually the word covet again. We're going to come into that here in the next couple of weeks. Thou shalt not covet. Don't covet. That word lust was just used by the English translators to show us that this covet It's not just thinking, oh, man, I wish I had this. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to have that. I'll do anything to have that. If I had the opportunity to have that, I would. See, what's the difference between a sin that's in here and one that's out here? See, Jesus is not suggesting that they're both the same. But what he's suggesting is it'll never happen out here if you start figuring it out in here. He's saying you've got to deal with this because whatever you obsess on is what you're going to do. Watch your thoughts. The church at Corinth had a lot of struggles with sexual sin. Jesus had, or Paul has to deal with this stuff so much, time, so much. Oh my gosh, there was a dude sleeping with his mom. Um, the church was messed up there. And crazy stuff going on. And so the apostle Paul confronts them in writing so they couldn't get it wrong, right? And he gives them a plan for dealing with their sin by dealing with their thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, he says, whatever God has told us to do, and we know that's what God has told us to do, we don't tolerate anything coming in that tells us to do anything different. We're going to get rid of that sucker. And now, watch what he says, last line. We take how many thoughts? Every thought captive, and we make it obey what God has said. He says, listen, you are still in control of your thoughts. And if your thoughts, if the sin leaves your head and comes into your life for real, it's because you chose to let it. Alright, so here's the question. So what if I've messed up and committed adultery? Is there still hope? Yeah, there is. There very much is still hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to have you underline a couple things. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Underline these three words. Don't fool yourselves. Don't Fool yourselves. You know how we'd say that today in the Midwest? Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, by all the way, all those are things that threaten the family. You say, how does cheating people threaten the family? We have this little thing downtown on 4th Street called the jail. And when you cheat people, you frequently spend time down there. Society goes, time out for up to 364 days. <laughs> At 365 days, we move you somewhere else. And in that year-long absence from your family, your family decides, you know what? It's a lot less stressful with that person not here. Yeah, those things all threaten the family. All right, watch. None of these people who do these things will inherit the kingdom of God. See, that's not a, there's no asterisk on that. Now, underline verse 11 here all the way to the uh, semicolon. Some of you were once like that. In other words, you used to do that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So listen, he says, look, some of you, you used to do those things. Listen, God says, I can forgive that if you come to me with it. John chapter 8, there's a story about a woman who was caught in adultery and they brought her out and they were going to put her to death. Remember that? Jesus gets down and writes in the dirt. All these guys scatter. All these people who wanted to kill this woman who were trying to use her to trap Jesus, they just fade away, man. They just, they evaporate. Jesus looks down at her and says, hey, where are all the people who accuse you? And she goes, I don't know. They're gone. Remember what Jesus said? Neither do I condemn you. Now, that's not all he said. A lot of times we want to stop there. What else did he say to her? Go and sin no more. All right. You realize what you did was wrong. My grace right now just freed you from that. Don't do it again. Man, I could do an entire lesson on recovery for the unfaithful spouse, recovery for the the, the betrayed spouse. But for just a minute, let me just talk briefly to those of you maybe who have been unfaithful or who are currently now being unfaithful, because odds are high that's happening in a group this size. Here's what you need to do. A... End the affair immediately. End the affair immediately. Man, if you haven't already, you break off all contact. If you need to get off social media, get your butt off social media. It's not good for you anyhow. Get off social media. Break off all contact. Block numbers if necessary. Go get a better phone plan with somebody else and change all your family's numbers. Get into a position where you cannot be contacted. Block all access. B, become completely transparent. We are only as sick as our secrets. Only our secrets can control us. And by the way, when you did it, the first person you lied to wasn't your spouse, it was you. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop deceiving all the people around you. Stop deceiving your friends. Get honest and get transparent. C, confess your sin to both God and a trusted friend, and just throwing this in, of your same gender. (laughs) Chances are high you got into your affair by confessing things to somebody you weren't married to who also wasn't your gender. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. I love this. One of my favorite verses. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to, and just to do what? To forgive us our sins, but just to go even beyond that and to do what else? To cleanse us from all wickedness. Yeah, if you've done it, you can actually, if you, you go to Jesus and you confess it to him and you clear that up with him, you can stand before God and it is as if it never happened as far as God is concerned. Scripture also tells us, though, it's important that you confess to God, but it throws in one more thing as a, as a bumper, as a safeguard, not a commandment, You have to write this verse in because I kind of forgot to put it in your notes. James chapter five, verse 16, thank you. Jerry must have caught that the other night. James chapter five, verse 16, listen to this. Confess your sins to who? Each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So confess to God, yes. But it's easy to confess something to somebody who doesn't have skin on them. But when you have to sit chair to chair and confess to somebody who can look you right in the eye, There's something very vulnerable, something very honest about that. You need someone to whom you can be accountable. There's someone you need to talk to where you have no secrets, where you give them full access to your text messages, full access to all your social media if you're stupid enough to stay on there. Let them be able to see your phone, check your history, check your browser history, anything. You need someone else praying for you. D, identify what led to the affair and correct it. Usually the first thing I say is, get sober. Get sober. Stop discussing personal issues with anyone of the opposite gender. See a counselor for yourself. See a counselor for your marriage. If your spouse won't go to counseling, you still go to counseling. E. Get actively involved in things that will help you grow spiritually. Man, Bible studies, read books that will help you out. I'll tell you, the two books I recommend most if if there's been an affair in a marriage, they're both by a guy named Willard Harley, H-A-R-L-E-Y. There's one called Love Busters, and there's one called His Needs, Her Needs. Start with Love Busters because that will help you stop doing the stupid things you've done that have created the mess you're in. And then his needs, her needs. But commit your time to keeping focused. Get in and volunteer. Do something that occupies your downtime. Get seriously on it. Listen, can I just tell you, nobody in this church will judge you. We kind of specialize in that, not judging. I mean, the difference between this congregation and a lot of other congregations is we admit we're screwed up. There's no shiny, indented people here. We are not all the new boxes of Barbies and G.I. Joe's at Walmart on that big row. We are the island of misfit toys, and we admit it, right? We have all failed, and we don't hide it from each other. We don't necessarily take pride in it, but what we take pride in is that Jesus has fixed us. Listen, We want your marriage to thrive. We want your family to thrive, not just survive. And I'll just tell you beyond that. We want your grandkids, and we want your great-grandkids to live in a secure nation. But it begins with us doing the right thing. And that's the mission of the Ten Commandments, is to show us how to make a place that is safe for our kids into the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you are a God of grace. We thank you that your mercies are new to us every morning. We thank you that you've promised if we confess and come clean that you forgive us and that you cleanse us and that we're able to stand in your presence just like it never happened. Father, help us to deal with our shortcomings. Help us to bring our life into alignment with what you've called us to do, be, and live. Father, we thank you for Jesus who brings grace to us, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who brings conviction, who brings guidance to us. We thank you for your word that sets it out so that we can see it and read it over and over and understand it as it becomes a part of our life. And Father, we thank you for mercy, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.